In Tuckerton, New Jersey, a massive cement monolith sits out of place and upon closer inspection, out of time. You see, this gigantic block was once the base of the tallest structure in North America and the second tallest in the world after the Eiffel Tower. Built in 1912, the Tuckerton Tower stood at an amazing 825 feet and was the first and most potent transatlantic broadcasting tower ever built. But here's the twist. Although it was on US soil, it was entirely built by and belonged to Germany. Today we discover the Tuckerton Tower and its ultimate downfall. I'm your host Ryan Sokash and you're watching It's History. Telegraph technology at the turn of the 20th century was akin to internet technology at the turn of the 21st. You see, after defeating the Pony Express, people had some outright outrageous ideas of how it could be used. For example, the Newark Evening Star published a piece about a revolutionary telegraph device that would transmit the human heartbeat worldwide so that doctors in San Francisco, for example, could examine patients in New York. The telegraph would provide an enlarged shadow picture of a patient's heartbeat on a gigantic white screen. Apparently, Washington University School of Medicine went as far as installing an electrocardiograph, which was described as, quote, a thing of wires, copper plates, electrodes, cameras, lanterns, compensators, keys, accumulators, and other technical requisites of electricity, creating a moving picture machine that was the weirdest in the world. So suffice it to say that when it came to telegraph, technology was on the rise. The origins of Tuckerton's famous radio tower go all the way back to the old continent, on the other side of the Atlantic, as the Keyport Weekly reported on January the 10th, 1913. The wireless station being created near Tuckerton, New Jersey, will be the highest telegraph tower in the world when completed. It's already nearly 200 feet tall and will rise 820 feet into the air when ready for use next June. It is said that if Tuckerton Station and the station in Berlin prove successful, other stations will be built in Germany, West Africa, and on the Pacific coast in California. The Mammoth Tower at Tuckerton is to be a part of a wireless telegraph plant costing $1 million. The proposal to establish direct communication with continental Europe and the station it is explained as to be one of a series with which a German company proposed to encircle the globe. As German capital is behind the enterprise, so will the whole structure of the tower be completed by German labor. And every piece of steel used in the construction will be imported from Germany. As overseen by the Hein Lehmann Company, the powerhouse and other parts of the plant are being built by Westinghouse, Church, Carrying Company, New York. The construction was so massive that a temporary railroad was set up from the tower's site to the shore of Mystic Island. Hence, large quantities of materials were unloaded from freight vessels and delivered directly to the construction site. Although several notable radio towers stood by this period of history, such as the German-owned American branch of the Tellen Funking Company at Sayville, this feat would be entirely different. For starters, the immense weight of the tower would rest on an apex of a tripod set as a ball and joint socket. Apparently, German engineers settled on this concept for the remarkable flexibility needed to withstand tremendous wind pressure. 
And considering how complex this technology was, finding the perfect location was complicated. For several months, local Theodore Leek of 150 Nassau Street and the representatives of the German company were engaged in negotiations to purchase suitable land for the telegraph plant. From over 20 sites considered, location on Hickory Island was chosen, approximately four miles from Tuckerton. Work began in July of 1913, and residents reported hearing the unusual sounds of heavy steel rumbling through the streets on trucks and trains. At the time, 100 to 150 workmen were employed at the plant daily, and according to the Statesman Journal, the weekly payroll was between $1,500 and $2,000. The tower's three cables were another challenge altogether. Assembled on site, the cables were to be set to concrete anchorages weighing 2,000 tons each and placed at points 570 feet from the tower's base. In the beginning, engineers experienced some difficulty in establishing a solid enough foundation, so heavy piles were driven 15 feet deep into the sandy soil, and resting on these would be the massive cement blocks. Not far from the tower's base is where the powerhouse was set up, which was a concrete building two stories in height. Remember, back then, electricity was often generated on site with vast amounts of coal and massive generators. To accommodate this, the powerhouse was 4,800 square feet and had a chimney of 150 feet in height. This building also housed the receiving station and the transmitting apparatus occupied a separate building. The power plant alone required 40 men to run daily. All the same, after construction was complete and some final details were resolved, the tower was ready to broadcast. By January of 1941, the Kaiser sent his first so-called wireless to President Wilson upon opening the fantastic new service. The Emperor expressed a hope that, quote, wireless communication will become a new link between our countries. And his message from Elvis, Germany read as follows. To President Wilson, Washington. I send you my best greetings, hoping that wireless communication will become a new link between our countries. Signed, Wilhelm. From today's perspective, we could analyze this technological accomplishment in several ways, but what I find remarkable is that, in a sense, the elite of 1914 had the technical ability to send a wireless message across the world. Ordinary folk can do the same thing a century later with a device that we carry around in our pockets. Let me know in the comments if you think that this was a long period or if we caught up to the elite rapidly. Anyhow, news outlets were astounded. The New York Times reported, direct communication by wireless between Germany and the United States without any relaying has been established. Emperor Wilhelm sent President Wilson the first message ever transmitted by this direct means. The Emperor's message was received at the White House last night, having been sent over land telegraph lines from Tuckerton, New Jersey, where it was taken from the wireless station. Mr. Meyer, the chief engineer of the Tuckerton station who forwarded the Emperor's message to Washington, requested that the answer be sent by cable, as the Tuckerton station was not complete for transmission purposes. A response from Washington was sent, but the State Department, which handled this message, didn't release its contents. It has been speculated that the U.S. President sent birthday wishes to the Kaiser. So although the Tuckerton Tower was at this point not yet capable of broadcasting messages, 
messages, the President of the United States replied all the same, just over cable. It was a landmark moment all the same. You see, at the time of this transmission, it was the longest sent by an organization intending to operate a commercial business at a distance of 4,062 and a half miles. The broadcast technology was made possible by Dr. Goldschmidt, who designed the technology of a so-called singing wheel machine that would permit the making of a new record in high-speed wireless communication at a low cost. This tower could transmit business messages at 100 words per minute for 8 cents per word. Which might sound like a bargain, but it's actually very expensive when we put it into modern terms of an equivalent $2.37 per word, meaning a message of 100 words would cost over $230 today. This machine enabled the sending of secret messages at extremely long distances. The company's North American representative, Emil Meyer, adopted a policy of secrecy, refusing to take anyone into confidence about the full extent of the accomplishments of the wireless station at Tuckerton, so the full capabilities were not known publicly. Even as the station was being built, efforts were made to keep its location a secret. The tower in Germany was also big news for Europe, and it was visited by a committee appointed by the British government to investigate wireless systems. The committee concluded that the system worked very well over short distances, but couldn't comment on the long-distance capability as either that aspect of the tower was protected by secrecy, or it simply wasn't technically ready when they visited. Sources don't clarify here. On the other hand, they did remark that the German tower was built in a marsh, bordering a considerable lake because of, quote, the faith of the Germans in the power of water to aid the transmission of messages, which I didn't entirely understand, so I reached out to the It's History community for clarification, where Jerry Whiting was nice enough to explain things. The ground for an AM radio transmitting antenna is just as important as the tower itself for lower RF signals. In very dry days, a good ground is impossible to obtain. Building that tower by a body of water ensures a low resistance ground for the transmitter. So, thanks to Jerry, everything is clear. But encryption is an entirely different story. You see, the encryption method of the time was based on the fact that receiving and sending apparatuses could be instantly adjusted to wavelengths from 5,000 to 15,000 yards. An operator could send a coded signal on a complex wavelength, and this message, if reasonably brief, could be completed before any other station even if equipped with the necessary instructions, could be detected. As early as August of 1914, the challenge of German-owned radio towers inside the United States became a national concern. When World War I broke out, the country was trying to maintain neutrality. Hence, the President of the United States, via executive order, barred messages of an unneutral nature. Yet reports were made of code flashes to German warships from the East Coast, specifically from the tower at Sayville, as the Boston Evening recalls. These messages, according to a German employee of the company, were received from the cable offices of the Postal Telegraph Company and Western Union Telegraph Company in this city. Others were received from a person in New York. The company manager, who also happened to be a member of the Naval Reserve of Germany, said he had indeed read President Wilson's order in the newspaper regarding the transmission and receiving of messages, but that he had no official notification of any kind. Well, we know now what we couldn't have known then. 
the U.S. would enter the war and those involved with the German-owned radio towers would indeed receive some extremely formal notification. Investigations began in both Sayville and Tuckerton. A decision was made to place naval officers as censors at all radio stations. Upon the arrival of these censors, employees claimed transmissions with Germany had ceased. In contrast, U.S. officials stated that about a dozen German workmen were anxious and considering resigning to return to their fatherland to fight. The rest of the staff was outraged at the accusations and the prospect that the United States could shut down the plant because it was thought to be operating in the interests of Germany alone. Now, I need to make a quick clarification. Although I'm no advocate for Germany's history in the world wars, I think it's fair to point out that the tone of these old newspapers I'm sourcing the video from is riddled with agenda. And for good reason, of course. What's more, when you have the manager of the world's most potent transmitting tower admitting that the company would continue sending messages to German warships until the US government seized the station and no news had been forwarded to French or English ships in that same time, things start getting pretty suspicious fast. When America entered the war in 1917, the military immediately took over the tower and assigned it to the U.S. Navy. The German staff at Tuckerton became war prisoners and were replaced by American counterparts. Once the war ended, the station was handed over as reparations. The U.S. promptly sold the tower to RCA, which operated it until abandonment in 1948. The tower was demolished just a few years later, on December the 27th, 1955. By that time, the world had changed. The Tuckerton Tower was the eighth highest structure on Earth, and its end would not be cinematic. It was simply raised to make room for new real estate. News of its demolition recalled wartime legends, such as the popular rumor that the tower sent the order to sink the Lusitania in 1915. The tower took six seconds to fall, at which point its components were collected and sold for scrap which might be a prime example of how destroying is much easier than building. The tower took a considerable amount of years to build and design, yet a small crew using acetylene torches cut away the cable lines on one side of the tower with a truck pulling a cable attached to the other side and the orange and white structure as tall as a 76-story building jackknifed in the center and buckled into the muddy meadows. So you might be wondering, what remains today? Mystic Island still hosts the massive blocks that once anchored the tower. One of these concrete and steel support blocks for the Tuckerton Wireless Station Tower is located in the middle of Staysail Drive. This block is almost entirely covered in vegetation, with the incredible thing being that the smokestack from the transmitter and powerhouse station is visible slightly off on the horizon. Another block is actually in someone's backyard, which must be a very bizarre novelty for a homeowner. And the final block is located right in the middle of South and Sign Drive. And that's not the end of the story. Although much harder to find, there are several smaller anchors and foundations found throughout the lagoons. Perhaps the most massive ruin left behind is the transmitter powerhouse building. The building is now entirely boarded up and abandoned, but still standing. You see, according to NJ.com, the construction is so solid that it would require using explosives to demolish. The bizarre legacy of Tuckerton's forgotten radio tower is yet another example of why I adore the state of New Jersey. 
Such a small state with so many stories from bygone times that are outright weird. This one hits home as my grandfather spent his final years in Mystic Island. I could recall visits from a child's perspective that New Jersey, as compared to my then home state of Illinois, offered a sense of old American culture, seemingly stopped in time with oddities around every corner. Anyway, we'll leave it there for today. I hope you enjoyed this story. For more New Jersey history, check out our playlist. Also, if you'd like to see the time I visited the abandoned site of the world's tallest radio tower, that's available on my other channel, Cult America. And please consider subscribing so that we might meet again. And until we do, this is Ryan Sokash signing off.